Hello, is everybody ready? Can you see me? <laughs> Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Wendy Lyon, and I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and I'm so excited to be here. And welcome to West Campus, my West Campus friends out there. Um, I am so excited to be here and teach, be a part of the teaching team and teach uh, Genesis, Genesis 43 and 44. These, I love these true stories in Genesis, and I agree with all the teachers that it's like a soap opera. It's full of ups and downs, and we see each character has great moments of faithfulness, and yet each character has great moments of disobedience, and yet God's plans continue, and that's the good news that Vanita shared a few weeks ago. God's plans continue in spite of our disobedience, and while God is working out his plan, he doesn't unfriend us. I love that word that Amy used. He does not unfriend us. He doesn't unfriend the men and women when they're disobedient, but he pursues friendship with them so they are useful to bless others. We move from person to person in the Bible and uh, in these chapters in all of Genesis. And if you've noticed, we'll talk about one person in the Bible and then we'll move on. And during that time, God does his work in their hearts and time passes. And then we go and revisit those characters. And there's a reason we revisit them. And it's because they've changed. Their hearts have changed. Their choices have changed. They're growing spiritually, and we get to watch. Heart work can be painful, and these chapters have probably been some of the most painful chapters I've studied in the Old Testament. Some moments carry so much tension that I found myself, I just want to squint my eyes and look away because it was so awkward and tense. And uh, there's tension and testing, but God tests our hearts um, through, changes our hearts through testing. Testing is a painful process, but it reveals what is unseen. It brings to light what is in the dark. And Joseph's brothers have been hiding sin in their heart for a very long time. And God uses Joseph to prick their hearts to remind them of the sins they've committed against Joseph, but the sins they've committed against God. Do you remember testing in school? When I think it's school, all I think about is taking tests. And I remember in chemistry lab having a Bunsen burner and testing materials. And it so reminds me of this lesson in testing because often when you put a material over a Bunsen burner, there's a chemical reaction. And during a chemistry test, we had to list the elements that, we, um, that were revealed in the material we were testing. Platinum is tested this way. It's, a, it's another metal. You might own a piece of jewelry made of platinum. They're very beautiful. They're like a bright silver. But how do you know that it's 100% platinum? You don't. It's tested in the same way. If you, I read an article about platinum. If you put it under fire, it turns bright red. And then as it cools, darker colors sh can show up and let you know if it's made of less valuable materials or less valuable metals. It weakens the metal. And some metals are discarded because they can't be used anymore when um, there's a weaker metal or less valuable inside uh, platinum. Platinum and any metals that are tested. In the same way... 
In the same way, hearts are tested to expose what's inside. We are tested to expose what's inside our hearts. But unlike metal that is discarded, we are never discarded. God never unfriends us. God uses painful testing to expose sin in our hearts that stands in the way of our friendship with him so that he can bless us and we can bless others. Joseph is God's instrument and he holds that torch and he's used by God to test his brothers. And last week we saw that Joseph lit the fire for the first test, accusing his brothers of being spies to test their honesty. At the end of last week's lesson, Lynn left us at the dinner table, and we see that there's a severe famine in Canaan, and it's left Jacob and his sons without food. They're facing starvation, but Jacob has another problem. He could send his sons to get more food, but he'd have to send Ben. Ben was Joseph's full brother and Rachel's youngest son. And we know that Rachel was very special to Jacob. I don't think mealtime has been a pleasant in Jacob's house. For 20 years, Joseph's seat's been empty. And every time they look at that seat, they're reminded of the grief. Jacob is reminded of the grief that his sons have. He doesn't trust his sons. Last time he sent Joseph off... Um, Joseph to check on them in the fields. Remember, he never returned, and he's grieving the loss of his son. And now, as they gather together, another seat is empty. Remember Simeon? Where is Simeon? Simeon's back in Egypt in prison, and Joseph is keeping them there. He put him in a timeout to think about the sins he's committed in the past. And what's Simeon thinking? He's been in there about two to three months. That's how long um, it took the sons to run out of grain. He's probably looking at his watch and saying, any day now they're going to come back and get me. But he's there for a reason. And what about Joseph? I think Joseph probably knew almost exactly when they were coming back. And this is just my opinion. I think he knew because he orchestrated all the food in the whole land. Remember that last week? He divided up the food. He's a master administrator, probably um, really good at math. Remember, he divided up the food one-fifth in, in the storehouses. He knew how much he put in the sacks and sent back to Canaan with the brothers. So he knew how much people ate, and I bet he could narrow down the window of when, as to when they were returning. And during that time, I bet he ran to the top of his palace and waited with anticipation, looking over the horizon, waiting for his brothers to come back, longing for a relationship with him. This reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Remember that story where the father um, so loves his son and his son has choose to live for himself far from him and he comes back and the father runs out and hugs him and receives him back into a relationship with him. Joseph had to be wondering, had their hearts changed? Did they have sorrow for what they did to him long ago? And how are they treating Benjamin, Joseph's brother by Rachel? The brother's hearts had to be tested. So here we are back at the dinner table in Canaan. We get to eavesdrop on this conversation around the table between Jacob and his sons. So let's read Genesis 43, 1 to 6. 
Um, there are three characters in the Bible, that this story, that start with J. Jacob, Joseph, and Judah. And so I get a little tongue twisted, and hopefully I won't get that mixed up. Let's read 43, 1 through 6. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to him, Go again and buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brothers with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly and tell the man you had another brother? God renamed Jacob um, Israel. We found that out when he wrestled with him. Remember that? But I'm going to refer to Jacob, to him as Jacob in this lesson. Jacob's faced with a desperate situation. He has to make a decision to send Ben with his sons to Egypt or they'll starve. Jacob's fourth son by Leah, Judah, steps up and gives him a convincing offer. So let's read Judah's offer in verse 7. They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the lands in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps this was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go to, again to the man. May the God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother, Benja your other brother in Benjamin. And as for me... I am bereaved. I of my children, I am bereaved. The language Jacob uses to tell us he's in anguish over letting Benjamin go to Egypt is uh, his distress, his worry. And we see his questioning his son, why did you treat me so badly to reveal that we ha you had another brother? I'm bereaved. I'm bereaved of my children. Because of the brothers' actions to sell Joseph long ago, remember they deceived their father Jacob, they lied to him and told him that um, he, uh, they didn't tell him that they sold him and they brought the bloody coat back, leading him to believe that he was torn apart by a wild animal. They deceived this, their father. Consequences for that? Joseph lived far, separated by distance in a relationship with his father Jacob. Does this sound familiar? You remember when Jacob and Esau were younger 
And their father, Isaac, was supposed to give, usually with the older one, you give the blessing to the older son, Esau. It was meant to go to Jacob, but Jacob, on his own, deceived his father, Isaac. And remember, he covered his arms with uh, goat's fur. His mother encouraged him to do so. And he lied to his father and deceived him and said, Yes, I'm Esau. Give me the blessing, Father. And this made Esau pretty mad. Remember that? He was ready to hunt him down and kill him. And as a result, Jacob had to go live in Haran very far away by distance and out of relationship with Isaac, his own father. And what about these gifts that Jacob tells his son to take to Egypt? Honey, gum. I looked up gum, and gum is a vegetable secretion you get from a tree or a plant, and it hardens, and so it's real easy to transport, and it's water-soluble, so you could um, use it at a later time. It seems handy. Um, Myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. These were native to Canaan. They were considered very valuable. And I'm sure they took a lot of time to collect. Remember when Jacob was living far from his family? Let's go back to that story. This sounds familiar, using gifts instead of trusting God. When Jacob lives far from his family, far apart from Esau, and God speaks directly to Jacob, and he says, Go back to your country and your relatives and live in peace, and I will make you prosper. Jacob should have grabbed his family, trusting God, and said, let's go back home in peace. God promises that we'll have peace when we arrive, peace with my family and peace with my brother. But he's overcome with fear. And what does he do? He used gifts. He gets his servants and lines them all up to present gifts. He waits in the back. And in the front, there's livestock all kinds of gifts to appease Esau because he's so fearful of going home. Jacob is repeating old habits. This first test reveals Jacob's heart. There's no evidence of prayer. There's no evidence of worship before he sends his sons off to Egypt. He worries. He grieves. He's bereaved. He trusts in gifts to save his son. He has no peace. What does it look like to trust God on a daily basis? When fear starts to creep in, we can easily focus on that fear and fall into this black hole of anxiety. I've been there. I know. I worry. I'm a lot like Jacob. The moment fear creeps in, we capture that fear and we replace it with God's truth. Truths like these on your verse sheet. Look at Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. In Joshua 1.9, I love this verse. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jacob had a truth he could have held on to. It was a truth spoken directly to him by God. Let's look at the truth that God spoke directly to Abraham. This was in Genesis 28, 15, and it's on your verse sheet. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
Had Jacob replaced this fear with that truth, how might this dinnertime conversation look different? How could he have blessed his brother, his sons? Things look grim, sons. I know we're, we're facing starvation, and I need to send you back to Egypt, and I don't know what's going to happen, but we trust God. God's our protector, and I trust him, and I want you to trust him too. We already know that the blessing for deliverance would be through his son Joseph. God did have a plan through the son that he hasn't seen in a very long time. When we trust God to provide, he blesses us with peace. Look at Isaiah 26, 3 on your verse sheet. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. A heart that trusts God and his plan is marked by peace. So the brothers are sent on their way with double the money, gifts, um, and some gifts. They're sent on their way to Egypt, and this time they take Benjamin. I'd like to think Joseph had gone again to the top of his palace and he's looking out at the horizon and he's waiting to see their faces come over the horizon. His brothers were finally returning. The brothers who left him in a pit to die ignored his cries for help and he was helpless to save himself. Now Joseph no longer was helpless. He could easily take their life and he had the power to do so. What the brothers deserved was death or imprisonment, and what they received was an invitation to dinner because he tells his steward, go slaughter an animal. They're going to dine with me today. The steward does just as he asks and prepares a dinner for for Joseph's brothers. Joseph shows them grace. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Joseph knew God. He walked with God. His heart was aligned with the ways of God. And God's a grace-giving God. And what is the fruit of a gracious heart? Kindness, compassion, love, mercy. And what's more loving than extending an invitation to receive grace in a relationship with one who cared about their hearts? He cared about the condition of their hearts because God cared about their hearts. We don't deserve to know God. Our sin can separate us from him. Our sin gets in the way of our relationship with him. But because of his grace, we're invited into a relationship with God. We're never unfriended by him. And he is a God of grace and mercy. Joseph has every reason to unfriend his brothers, but he chooses grace. And by the way, when are we tested the most? In our families. Families are a perfect training ground for grace. Isn't that true? I see some heads nodding. I know for me it is. Joseph Steward, his right-hand man, prepares the food and was also the first to meet the brothers, and they were very afraid, and he could see that. They're visibly um, shaking, thinking this dinner is some sort of setup. He's going to invite us to dinner, and then he's going to make us his slaves. Let's read uh, 43, 23 to 25. 
This is the servant speaking to Joseph's brothers. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given them their donkey's fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. How does a servant know about God? It's obvious Joseph has had an influence on everyone around him. Remember the cupbearer, the baker, Pharaoh, the entire nation of Egypt and the surrounding nations now providing for him? It seems this Egyptian servant also worships the one true God. Let's read verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare. And he said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God, be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his, for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. And then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. The brothers bowed down to Joseph, just as God said they would in the dreams he gave Joseph long ago. I read that when gifts were presented to a king, they were really um, a dramatic show. Showing the gifts, walking back and forth to win the favor of the king. He didn't respond. Wow, I haven't had pistachios in years. Thank you. Let me try some of those. His first concern is the well-being of his family because he missed them. He said, is your father well? And while they're bowing, he's scanning his brothers and he spots Benjamin says he lifts up his eyes and he sees his brother Benjamin and his heart grew warm. And he said, God, be gracious to you. He was overwhelmed with love and compassion, so much love he had to leave the room to console himself and weep behind closed doors so as not to blow his identity. There's a lot going on at this dinner. Joseph's getting ready to enjoy the company of his brother's. But there's something else going on. Let's read verse 33 and 34. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at each other in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. I think it would have been very difficult at this point to refrain from revealing his identity and yet still enjoy the presence of his brothers. It would be such a temptation to want to embrace him and them and just talk and laugh and catch up, but he was holding back because he had to test them. And I wonder what the brothers thought. He put us in order from the oldest to the youngest. How does he know? Joseph is so clever. 
This is the fear of God, putting the fear of God in their hearts. He had divine knowledge that he knew their birth order. Then the test preparations begin. Each was served a plate of food with the same amount of portions, but Ben's plate must have been huge to support five portions of food. Now, it was either one big plate, but I think it could have been several plates. So it passed in front of them over and over and over again to remind them of a time where there's a shiny coat that passed by them over and over and over again, and it stirred up these emotions. Would old feelings of hate and jealousy bubble up towards Benjamin, and will they repeat the same offenses? Joseph set the stage for a second test, and I love how this chapter ends on a high note. It says, and they drank and were merry with him. After elevating the tension in the room, Joseph is blessed by enjoying the company of his brothers laughing and talking. Something he hasn't been able to enjoy in a long time. On your outline, a gracious heart shows kindness and compassion even when it's hard. When tensions set are set high after the meal, Joseph doesn't get to be merry for very long because they all go to bed and wake up and this painful testing has begun. I'm going to summarize just a few verses in uh, chapter 44. Joseph tells his steward to fill their sacks with two things, lots of food, an abundance of food, and then the money. Put the money that they brought, put it back in the sack. And one more thing, put my special silver cup in Ben's sack. The brothers were sent on their way. They don't make it far. Joseph tells his steward, catch up with them and accuse them of stealing. Stop them and say, why have you paid evil for good? Is it not from from this that my lords drink? And by this he practices divination." Now we know that divination is a pagan practice in Egypt, but Joseph did not want to blow his cover, staying consistent with the perception that Joseph is a high, full-ranking Egyptian. The brothers, we know, are really not guilty of stealing food and money. We know this. We know this. But, they were, but it was placed in their bags to prick their conscience and prick their hearts and remind them of unconfessed sin. How will the brothers respond to being accused of this um, stealing of the money and the food and the cup? Let's read verse 9 in chapter 44. Whichever your servants is found with it shall die. We also will be my Lord's servants. He said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning from the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. The brothers are quick with their words, and they offer death. They think they're so innocent that 
Whoever is found with it shall die. And I love what the servant says. He rewords this and says, let it be as you say, but the only the one found with the cup will be my slave, and the rest of you will go free. They uh, were confident of their innocence and lowered their bags quickly. They lowered them, opened their sacks, so the contents were laid bare for all to see. For who to see? Not the steward. The steward already knows what's in the bags. He put everything in there. Who's supposed to see what's in the bags? The brothers. The brothers are supposed to look inside their bags. Imagine uh, their distress and surprise as they're open, opening their sacks. At one by one, they look and they gasp. Guilt. They see the guilt. And imagine their distress, lastly, as they see Ben, Ben's sack, and he has the silver cup. How would they respond? Look, uh, let's read verse 13 again. They tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. And when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. And behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. They responded by tearing their clothes and bowing down and experiencing the weight of their sin that was in the dark and now that is brought to light. Who tore their clothes last time when they brought the blood-covered coat to Jacob? Jacob tore his coat, not the brothers. This time, the brothers tear their coat in grief. And here we see a glimpse of the brothers' changed hearts as they're starting to just begin to pass these tests. They're showing true care and concern for Ben, for Ben as they are distressed over the consequences that he might suffer. We also see great spiritual maturity in Judah. In verse 17, 16, he says, We are all guilty, all of us along with Benjamin. Judah realizes they're responsible for their mistreatment of Joseph, and he cries out, What can we say? This is God's call for them to confess this hidden sin. And even though their hearts are becoming softer, God wants them to deal with their past sin. Were Judah's words sincere? Was the tearing of their clothes and Judah's offer an outward expression of a true inward heart change? Joseph needed to know, and he turned up the heat. He was going to make it even hotter. He turned up the heat and offered them a get-out-of-jail-free card. Do you remember those in Monopoly when you got a get-out-of-jail-free card? Let's read verse 17. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Their get-out-of-jail-free card read, You're off the hook. Just pin it all on Ben. 
you just go home in peace. But would there really be peace? They've been living with a grieving father for a very long time. They knew returning without Benjamin, leaving their brother back in Egypt, they would be returning um, to living numerous years in a prison of guilt. A few years ago, I went to Northern California to visit family, and we passed by the house of Sarah Winchester. Has anybody heard of Sarah Winchester? She is the heiress to the Winchester Arms Fortune. Her father-in-law invented the Winchester rifle. That might ring a bell. It's the repeating rifle. It was very popular during the Civil War and um, to kill, um, it killed numerous soldiers and Indians as they were cleaning them off the reservations. Um, they didn't realize the magnitude of what they had invented. This was in the late uh, 1800s, and Sarah had inherited this fortune because her father eventually died, her husband died, and within a few short years, she lost her baby daughter. She uh, felt false guilt and responsibility for the deaths of all these soldiers and Indians, especially as she lived off the fortune of um, the revenue that came from these guns. We know she was not guilty of their death, but she felt the weight of so much guilt it made her crazy, a little crazy. And she um, locked herself up in this house, and she thought the ghosts of these Civil War soldiers and these Indians killed um, all these members of her family and that she was next. So she would spend the night in a different bed every night, and she wanted to confuse them. So she hired construction workers to work around the clock for 38 years till her death to add on to her house. And there's so many oddities in their house. There's a stairway that leads straight to a ceiling, there's a skylight in the floor. There's hallways with dead ends. There's a door on the third floor that leads to absolutely nowhere. Um, and that's just the beginning. Um, there's, it's, it's a very mysterious house. She died separated from relationships from anybody from the outside in her own prison of guilt. This is not how God intended for Joseph's brothers to live, and it's not how God intends us to live. We open the bags. If those bags are our hearts, we look inside, and we grieve our guilt, but he doesn't want us to stay there. Satan would love for us to stay captured in guilt, in guilt because we miss out so many blessings from God. Sin steals peace, it steals our joy, it gets in, our, in the way of our relationship with Christ, but because of God's grace and mercy, we don't have to stay there. He provided a way out. We can choose to confess our sin and be forgiven. And no sin is too great for God. And if you think, you don't know what I've done, you don't know about the things, the things I think about, Hey, we've read a lot of people in Genesis here. This should encourage you. We see murder and lying and deceit, and yet God still pursues their hearts. He includes us in the Bible to encourage us. Look at 1 John 1, 8 and 9 on your verse sheet. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then look at Psalm 103, 11 and 12. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Joseph's offer, this get-out-of-free-jail card, requires a choice that would reveal their hearts, and we have that choice too. When we are tested, we really only have two choices. We can close up those bags, throw them back on our back, be on our way, carry this hidden sin in our heart that gets in the way of our relationship with God, or we can look inside And we can grieve as God grieves and confess our sin and repent. Repentance means to turn. The definition is reviewing one's actions and feeling regret for past wrongs. It involves a commitment to personal change and the resolve to live a life of obedience. God desires to bless us, but he can't bless sin. So he tests us to make us aware of our sin. A repentant heart recognizes guilt and confesses sin. That's on your outline. A repentant heart recognizes guilt and confesses sin. Vanita told us a few weeks ago that there was a point where Judah's heart had changed when he told Tamar, she is more righteous than I. And even though we don't see a true written confession um, from Judah, we believe that there's a true heart change because uh, we see this in his actions, his words, and his behavior. The old Judah, um, Judah's always been a leader. The old Judah was a leader, but he did not lead with a heart that agrees with God. Let's look back at the old Judah. Remember his response to jealousy of his brother Joseph in Genesis 37, 27? Look on your verse sheet. This is what he's talking, he's talking to his brothers and they listen to him. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon them, for he is our brother, our own own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. As a leader, was Judah, along with his brothers, going to be fit to lead a nation of Israel as followers as the one true God? Joseph needed to know. No, and would Judah take this offer to throw Ben under the bus and repeat the sin he'd committed before? Let's see if Judah passes this test. Judah steps forward to speak to Joseph, and this is the longest recorded speech in Genesis. And uh, we're going to read just a few pieces of it and start off with verse 18. Then Judah Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. Judah continues a very moving and heart-wrenching story about their grieving father, and he tells them all about these dinner conversations they've had back in Canaan. And how he tells them about how Jacob was fearful of losing his son Benjamin because he already lost Joseph, his other son, and he's been torn to pieces, and how they grieved that. This... Uh, 
had to be the most moving retelling of what happened. And I can imagine Joseph listening to him. This had to bless Joseph because he probably wondered, oh, that's what you told Dad about how I died. I got torn to pieces. I, I wondered. I wonder what the explanation was. This is what Joseph had so longed to hear from Judah. Let's continue reading Judah's plea in verse 27. Then your servant, my father, said to us, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he's been torn to pieces, and I've never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Now, 20 years ago, when Joseph was sold into slavery, I'm sure Joseph has the most vivid memory of sitting on the back of that slave truck, watching his brother Judah look down in his hands at 20 shekels of silver. A prize. He, it, I can't imagine the pain he felt that his brother put a pain on his life, um, the pain that he, put, that he put a price on his life for 20 shekels of silver without any sorrow. Now Judah is holding out his hands and, and um, for a different reason. And he says, bind me. Take me instead of Benjamin. I want to exchange my life for his. For an older brother to give himself up for a younger brother was a true act of humility and a true act of sacrificial love. Can you imagine what Ben is thinking as he's watching his brother plead for his life? I'm sure he thought, I want to be like him. I'm going to pledge a life of gratitude to my older brother. He's my role model. Wherever he goes, I'm going to go. I want to be like Judah. Judah's offer to exchange his life for Ben's freedom is a foreshadowing of what Judah's descendant, Jesus, will do for, us, for, will do for them and has done for us. Look at John 15, 12, and 13 on your verse sheet. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. And look at 1 John 3:16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Judah's heart, when tested, no longer held jealousy and hatred, but only great sacrificial love. He passed the test. Judah is now useful to God to be blessed, to bless others. And we know he's blessing Benjamin right now with this speech. He's blessing his brothers. He's blessing Joseph. 
This is what Joseph has been waiting to hear, all about his, his changed heart. Judah's outward behavior reflected an inward heart change. Our outward behavior should reflect our inward heart change. Why? To restore our friendship with God so he can use us to bless others. A changed heart agrees with God and restores our friendship with him. God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob they would be a great nation. And the 12 brothers would be the father of the nations, united as, as one family, set apart to look like God, with behavior that's aligned with God's character, to bear fruit and to bless others, and to walk closely with him as their friend. God tests our hearts because he loved us, loves us. Testing is a good thing. Because he's kind, he tests our hearts. As believers, we may have past sin in our hearts that we haven't addressed. And when God pricks our hearts and our conscience, we're to respond. We must not be overwhelmed by the grief we feel when we look inside our hearts, but we should be overwhelmed by his grace. He's a gracious God. Judah passed the test, but will Joseph put him through more tests? Will he finally reveal himself to his brothers, or will Joseph send them away to live peacefully with their father Jacob? And what about Jacob? Will he die thinking his son was torn to pieces and never see him again? Stay tuned next week. You will not want to miss one of the most wonderful stories in Genesis. Our God is good. He tests us because he loves us and wants friendship with us. I'll close us in prayer. Lord, thank you for pursuing us. Show us areas in our hearts we haven't addressed so that we can walk closely with you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for the great privilege to be used by you as a part of, our plans, of your plans. I pray you'd bless our weeks, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.